couple of us to, to step in. So today you're getting three for one, right? Uh, and uh, today myself, Ben Houseward, and Al will be, will be sharing some, some thoughts. And um, I volunteer to go first. So we're going to get right into it. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. If not, there should be some scripture back there. Yeah. Cool. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll start off by, by reading today's scripture and then I'll pray and we'll get into it. We're going to be in Psalm 21. It says, The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him his heart's desire and have not withheld a request of his lips. You came to greet him with rich blessings and placed the crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. When you appear for battle, you will burn them up as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you, they deceive, they devise, sorry, they devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. You will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. We will sing and praise your might. Uh, let's pray real quick. Lord, I pray that it would be you speaking this morning uh, through Ben, through Al, through myself, Father, that whatever your people, Father, need to hear from you today, God Almighty, whatever message that you have for your people, Father, that, that your word would be seed, God Almighty, and our hearts would be fertile soil. Lord, in your name, amen, amen. and amen. Cool. So I'm going to admit it took me three different tries to write what I'm going to say. I'm going to try to keep it short. But uh, I, I read this psalm in, in preparation for what we're going to do today. And at first, it, I had one idea of what I might want to talk about. I, I pitched it to Carlos, and he's like, eh. And so I went home and started writing again. And um, then I called my, my friend, uh, Pastor Ryan from TCC. Some of you know him. And he, he gave me some pushback. We went back and forth on some things. And I was like, man, it's just... It's just it was taking shape, but it just didn't feel right yet. And um, yesterday we got to, to go to a worship conference uh, across the, the parking lot here. And the, the, the guy that was speaking, man, uh, he was just dropping all kinds of wisdom, uh, all glory to God. And, and, and the, the stuff that he was talking about as it related to worship um, helped me look at this psalm a little differently. And so I went home and worked on it one more time. And by God's grace, here we are. Uh, <laughs> so one thing that definitely stood out to me, even from the beginning when I read, uh, read this, this chapter, was at first glance, there seems to be a disconnect, right, between the first seven verses and then the next six, right? So, so David, in a sense, in the first seven verses, he's doing almost like, um, he's not necessarily like flexing, but he's flexing, right? So he's talking about all the blessings and the victories and the, the earthly glory that God has given him. 
Um, what stood out to me, though, that, that with every mention of a blessing or every mention of a victory, uh, the crown of gold and all that stuff, it, he doesn't talk about it like he's earned it. Right? And with every mention of a blessing, he points it all back to God. Right? And we see that in, in verse 1. The king rejoices in your strength, Lord. How great is the joy in the victories you give. Right? And the rest of the, of the verses seem to match that, that tone. Uh, everything that he's received, he's received from God. Another thing after uh, attending this, this, this sermon, when I came, home, came back home uh, to, to read and, and work on this, I noticed that David opens up the chapter and he closes the chapter with a similar concept as to tie it all together. Right? He opens it up saying, the king rejoices in your strength, Lord. And in verse 13, to finish it, he is finishing it in a similar way. Be exalted in your strength, Lord. Right? And so he opens this, this chapter and he closes it in the same way to let us know he's, he's saying the same thing in both, both occasions, right? In the first half, or what I call the first half, where he's kind of giving an inventory of all the things he's received, it sounds like he's saying one thing, and then the next verses, he kind of switches it. But he's saying one thing, right? And I believe that the takeaway that David wants us to go home with is that God is able. Why do I say that? Right, so I said the first seven verses, he gives an inventory of all the things he's received from God, right? And in the next verses... He kind of switches it and almost like starts talking about God as a warrior. He starts painting scenes of God in war and in battle and destroying his enemies. And, and, and it's cool, right? But how did we get here? Like you, you were talking about your blessings and you're talking about your crown of gold and you're talking about all the things that God has done for you. And suddenly now we're talking about, you know, have you ever met somebody who kind of does that in the middle of a conversation? They're like talking about one thing and then suddenly like we're talking about something completely different. And like, how, how did we get from there to here? Right? That's, how kind of, that's kind of how it felt when I was reading this chapter. But I would argue that David is saying one and the same thing. Right? As, as David points, as David points back to God, in our culture, we see a lot of... Um, I, I, me, 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 myself, and I, right? And if we look at, at what David is saying in the first seven verses from a secular humanistic point of view, man is bragging. Sounds like it, at least, right? But as he's pointing back to God, right, and we read verse seven, and I think that is the clue, Verse 7, right? That, that is the, the clue that helps us see how he's saying one thing. And there's one theme in the whole chapter. It says, for the, Lord, for the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. So again, the emphasis is God. God. Not me. God. Right? If we know anything about David, we know he used to be a shepherd. All right. it, was, it, was, it was the kind of thing where the prophet Samuel shows up to anoint the new king. And his dad, right, David's dad, brought every single brother David had, all seven of them, lined them up. And it wasn't until, like, Samuel was like, well, is 
it's none of these. Do you have another one? And they're like, well, yeah, but, you know, he's, he's, he's out there. You know, he's, he's, he's a little kid, right? So David goes from being shepherd boy to king. And he gives us the inventory of all the things that he's, he's been able to accomplish, the achievements. And he points it back to God. How often do we take time to look at our lives and be like, how did I get here? You know, I, I, I think for me, when, when we talk about worship in the sense of music or in the sense of, of, of the time that we spend prior to, to the sermon, anytime we talk about God's faithfulness or there's a song that talks about him, him not abandoning, I think that, that's where it always takes me back to, how, how did I get here, Right? When I take into account not just my own life, but the life of my parents and grandparents and what they went through and what, they, what they've done, what I've done, how, how am I here right now, right? And I think that is the, that is the tone, that is the, the posture that David has in the first seven verses. It's like nothing that I've done, nothing that I have, I've earned on my own. If I have anything to brag on, if I have any achievement, if I have any accomplishment, it's only by God's grace, and it is only by his love, by the love of the Most High, that I am not shaken. Anybody been through a storm? Anybody's life perfect here? And yet here we are. Why? Right? Why? And I think as I read 8, verses 8, 9, 10, and he starts painting this this, this picture of God as a warrior and he's destroying his enemies and he's obliterating them and he's, and he's, and he's consuming them in wrath and he's consuming them in fire. And, and you're like, well, what does that have to do with what you just said? It, is, it just drives the point home. In my life, I've experienced personally who God has been and how faithful and how powerful he's been, right? Not that he's, he's, he's stuck with me, but that he is able. Because it's one thing, I can stick with you in a situation, but I can't fix your situation. I can't change it. I can't redeem you, Right? I can be a good buddy, but not only does God stick with you, God is carrying you the whole way, and, and he's handling it. And so the next, next few verses where, where he depicts God as a warrior, that is the point David is trying to drive home. Not only is God with me, but he is able, right? And we see that. What's, what's, the, what's the verse that we all love to quote? Is it Ephesians 3.20? God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, right? And um, kind of going off on a tangent, I'm about to do what I thought David was doing, right? It's the same thing, I promise. We're talking about the same thing. Uh, on, on, on Monday, no, I'm sorry, Thursday. On Thursday in Pixley, we have a youth group. And I felt what the Lord wanted, wanted me to share that night uh, was on the story of uh, Jairus, and the woman who was bleeding, right? And so what, what stood out to me about that particular part and what I wanted to share with them was whatever hopes this man had, right? When he shows up to talk to Jesus and pleads with him, Jesus, help my daughter, she's dying, right? Jesus agrees to go. Whatever hopes he had of Jesus showing up before she died were gone the moment this random woman comes out of nowhere reaches past the crowd to touch Jesus. Jesus stops, takes his time, has a conversation with her. And it seems for like a second, we've completely forgotten about what's going on over here. Like the, the urgency of what is happening right now, Jesus has like, what, what? 
Do you not get my daughter's dying, right? But Jesus isn't phased by it, right? And whatever hopes this man had of Jesus showing up before she died were gone the moment his friend shows up and is like, she's dead. You don't even got to bother Jesus no more, right? Jesus turns around and says, don't be afraid. Believe. Man, that's tough. In that moment, in that moment, your daughter's dying, right? Or she's, she's passed. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Anyways, Jesus continues to, to move on, and he ends up at the house. Everybody's crying. Everybody's wailing, as you're supposed to be, right, when you lose a loved one. And Jesus, again, seems to be offbeat with what's happening. He shows up and is like, why are y'all tripping? Why are you crying? She's asleep. Who, who does that? Unless, unless Jesus knows something or is capable of doing something they were not aware of yet, right? And if anything, if, if, if the, the common thread in this chapter, in, in chapter 21 of, of the book of Psalms, I think it's that. There is no circumstance, there is no obstacle that would stand up against God's will, that would stand up against God's purpose or God's plan that could hinder or stop or prevent. And that's the, pinch, that's the picture that, that David paints, right? In verse 11, though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. When God sets out to do something, he finishes it. When God sets out to do something, he finishes it. And we see that from the beginning of scripture to the end. God spoke and there was a universe. Man messes up and he speaks promise into our mess. Thousands of years later, Jesus on the cross, he says, it is finished. Three days later, he gets up and the empty tomb continues to speak about the living hope the living hope that we have, the living hope that you have in the God who not only goes with you, but is able. So what does that mean for us? If God is able to do immeasurably more, then we can trust him. Because when Jairus lost all hope, Jesus showed up and reversed death. Death. I share, I share that sometimes with some of the kiddos uh, that I work with. Some of them don't, don't share our faith. Some of them are Muslim. Some of them don't believe. And I was, I was talking to a particular boy in this case who, who was of another faith. And I told him, you, you want to you wanna go after Christianity? Here it is. Christianity rests on one thing. If Jesus didn't get up from the dead, this is all for nothing. Sunday mornings, you, y'all can go do something else. Right? But if Jesus got up after three days, he is who he says he is. And he does what he says he does. Amen. And so if nothing else today, this morning, the takeaway is this. Not only does God go with you, but God is able. So whatever you're, you're facing this morning, whatever's going on in your life, whether good or bad, just know that we are here today. We are here today only by God's grace. And it's only by the love of the Most High, like David said, that we are not shaken. Amen. And that is good news.
It is good news because that means that the promise for tomorrow doesn't rest in your ability, right? It doesn't rest in the person next to you and who's here today and who's not. Amen? So that's my time and that's my part. And I'm going to ask uh, Al to come and, and share. Thank you, Danny. Um, I'm going to sit because uh, my, uh, my knees will start to shake. So, um, and I hope you can uh, follow along because, uh, Danny, I'm one of these people that will get in a conversation and then, uh, you know, go off some tangent or whatever. So I hope you all can follow me. I'm going to bring out my notes a second. So I'll be reading from uh, Luke 23, 39 through 43. Okay, and it's about the, um, the thief on the cross. And so beginning in um, verse 39... It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, let me start with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this time together, Lord, and I pray that you use me, use the words that uh, come out of my mouth, and may it be a blessing to all who are here, Lord. And we thank you for uh, being our Savior, Lord. We praise Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, the thought that I have, I am I'm kind of driven by... Um, real life situations and um, I had an opportunity here a while back because one of my friends told me several months back he told me he says I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm not good enough and I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you or if you struggle with it yourself I, I, I know sometimes I look around and I see other people that are you know just off the charts right they're, they're great people they volunteer and they do great things and then I say, boy, I hope I make it to heaven because I'm not as good as those people. And then I look at the criminal on the cross. Well, you know, he's not that good of a dude. Um, I got to be better than him. So if he can make it to heaven, shoot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to shoe in, right? I'll make it because I'm better than he is. Well, when a friend of mine uh, told me that he wasn't good enough to go to heaven, I really failed because I think I told him, says, you know what, Tim, you're not that bad of a guy. You're a good person. You know what? Maybe you should try going to church, right? And, and I, I placed the, the, the emphasis on him by the things that he should do. But uh, you know what? That was, that was a bad answer, and I've, and I've been haunted by that ever since. 
that uh, I think I failed and I came, I came, I, I didn't come through, right? So uh, in my own life, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I just don't measure up sometimes, and, but that's, I'm not saved by my own, my own deeds. I'm saved by the grace of God. So, um, and, and, in, and in society, we are so, um, we're, we're just, we get rewarded, right? You go to work, you get paid. You do good work, you get a promotion. I remember in Sunday school, every time you memorized a verse, they put a star by your name. And I still remember Carol. She was going to heaven because she had a list this long of stars. Mine was about halfway. Johnny wasn't going to heaven because he only had two stars. Right? So, it, it, and so we were, were kind of raised that way, right? So grace is just a, a hard thing to grasp, right? The, the, how could God be so good? That if we confess our sins and believe in him, that we can go to heaven, right? It's just, it's just hard for me to grasp that, that, that goodness. Um, so I, I think I really messed up. And I, I even had in my arsenal, um, Pastor Carlos gave this a while back, and it's called The Roman's Road to Salvation. And, um, and it's three verses, and I even had that in my arsenal, but... Um, I didn't have it with me, and I'm, I'm going to commit myself to memorize these verses. And, it, and it's Romans 3, verse 10, Romans 3, verse 23, and Romans 6, verse 23. And it talks about no one is righteous, no, not one. And uh, I don't know. I'm going, to, I'm going to commit myself to memorize these verses because, uh, because I think I could have answered Tim in that way, right? I could have quoted him uh, Romans. But I also could have told him about the, the criminal on the cross, which I did not do. So I, I, I'm still, I'm just, yeah, it bothers me. So why is, um, oh, I can tell you, even, even I have a, a friend that we call each other on Mondays and we say, um, hey, did you go to church yesterday? And then, uh, yeah, he went to church and I didn't. So then he says, well, I got a brownie point in heaven, right? I'm, I'm better than you are, right? And we do it jokingly. We don't, we don't mean it, but uh, that's how we just joke around with each other. So it's just, it's always this, this reward thing that we're always trying to, we're trying to earn our way. But so, um, so why is grace such a hard, th- hard thing to grasp? And I always kind of uh, put it this way. What if your employer on January 1 paid you for the whole year? Say you made $50,000 a year and on January 1 he gave you 50 grand. What are you going to do? Are you going to, huh, what, what a dummy, right? I'm going to. I'm going to show up late for work. I'm going to leave early. I'm going to take an extra time for, for lunch. Or would you go to work and show your gratitude? Would you be thankful for that he's already paid you in advance? You know, that would be hard to understand. You, I mean, who, who does that? What kind of boss does that? We're always working and then getting rewarded. So like I said, grace is a hard thing to grasp. And then uh, sometimes I think, well, yeah, I've, I'm a pretty good guy, right? I can earn myself into heaven. But then I'm reminded of, uh, of the Pharisee, right? The, the parable of the Pharisee, which uh, is in Luke 18, verse 10. I'm going to read that a second. Verse 10, 
Okay, and see, I, I, can, uh, I can relate to the, this Pharisee, right? It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I get a tenth of all I get. Pretty good guy, right? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Pastor Carlos always reminds us that humility is the beginning of Christianity. Um, so I, in my prayers, I pray for humility, um, because that is the beginning of Christianity. Um, you know, he tells us to, to become like a servant. And what did Jesus do on his last day on earth, his last night on earth? He washed the disciples' feet. He became a servant. Um, and I think we're called to do the same. So um, heaven is for everyone. We can't achieve it. It's a gift of grace. Hard to accept that sometimes. But the criminal did. And then... Um, and also want to read from Mark 9. And here, um, reminded me, uh, uh, I thought about it when uh, Danny brought up Jairus' daughter, right? This guy had all hope, all faith, until she passed away and she was gone. All hope is gone. But here it talked about a father whose son was demon-possessed. And so then Jesus asked him, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus replied, if I can. Like, you know, what, what kind of question is that? Can I do that? You know, that's, that's just redundant, right? That's just, can I do anything? Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I find myself that way because I believe in grace. But yet, is it true? Can I really hang on to that promise? Well, I think we can because Jesus promised that criminal. And I think the next time somebody asks me or tells me that they're not good enough, to get to heaven, I think I need to tell them that uh, they'll say, you know what, hallelujah, praise the Lord, because you've just taken the first step towards, towards salvation by admitting that you're not good enough. Exactly, amen. And then I'll tell them about the criminal on the cross, because God promises, this, and I think it's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, says, today you will be with me in paradise. What a promise. And he says it to me, and he says it to everyone, and it's all for us to grasp and, and hang on to that promise. Let me, uh, let me say a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we could share, Lord. I thank you for uh, Danny's words, Lord, and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the message that he brought, Lord. I pray that you be with Ben as he comes up here and brings his message also, Lord, and uh, just be with us throughout the rest of this day. We praise Jesus' name. Amen.
passing the baton over here. No, I think I am going to adjust this a little bit, though. This was, I was trying to get this to work earlier, and it wouldn't, wouldn't work for me. Hang on. There we go. Um, when we were sharing with each other kind of what we were going to talk about, I, I saw the verses that Alan uh, Danny had shared, but I didn't know what, what they were talking about. And as I was listening to Danny talk about David and just all of those things, I thought, oh man, he led perfectly into mine because I'm going to talk about David. Um, but I'm going to throw back a little bit. Um, I'm talking about David, uh, you know, Danny talked about Jethro's like, yeah, I have some sons. Um, yeah. Oh, I've got this other son. He's a shepherd. Um, that's the David I'm going to talk about. Um, so I'm talking about the story of David and Goliath, which you probably have all heard. Um, I feel like even non-Christians know about this story, right? It's, it's used often in like, oh, you know, just a, a Cinderella story, like somebody who is ill-prepared or just an underdog, and they defeat this, this giant, this impossible task. Um, but I think maybe the difference between where Christians refer to this story and, you know, a non-Christian is where the, where the strength comes from. Um, and I think that's what Danny talked about, you know, just how God is able. Um, and I think this story from David's childhood really leads into what he was like as a king. Um, so 1 Samuel 17, uh, verses 46 to 47, David, this is David uh, talking to the giant. You know, they, they're meeting on the battlefield, and he says, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then it will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the God rescues, that the Lord rescues his people. So like already as a child, David has this, this confidence in God. He knows that his strength comes from the Lord, and he's telling it to this giant who is probably twice his size. Um, and, you know, it just... It, it just struck me as, as Danny was talking, God is able. God can do these things. Um, because right before this verse, this is what Goliath was saying to David. In verse 44, Goliath shouts at David. He says, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Like Goliath is just taunting David. Like this is what, what this joke, this kid who's coming to me. Um, and I didn't notice this until I was preparing for today that um, David... After hearing what Goliath said, Goliath told David, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and wild animals. And then right after that, David says to Goliath, no, no, I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. Like, I didn't, I didn't catch that before. David's like, hey, I'm going to take your words and throw them right back at you. Like, you think you're going to feed my flesh? No, I'm going to feed your flesh and your men. Like, he's, he's got that confidence in God that he can just throw it back at him, just taunting at him. Um, but he has another reason for his confidence. Um, and I think David was more prepared for this moment than, than I think anybody let on. You know, not only did he have God on his side, but he, he had a, a lifetime of preparation. So a friend of mine told me this story of when he went to go visit Israel. They were on like, a, it was like a bus tour. They would, you know, hop on a bus, drive to this area. I mean, there's so much to see in Jerusalem, right? So much history there. Um, and so, but they stopped at this the guy told the bus driver, okay, stop right here. They got out. It was just this valley kind of overlooking this valley. 
And he said it looked like a, a children's picture book where it's just this, this open valley. There's this sheep kind of grazing and then a couple of shepherd girls and like did not look like something that was in the 21st century, just kind of thrown back in time. Um, but they just, he kind of just watched as these girls were shepherding their sheep. And what they would do is, you know, as a sheep would start to wander off, they would just throw a rock. And it would hit right in front of the sheep and startle the sheep and he would go back to where the flock was. Um, and it was just, it was constant. It was just constant. Like, there's a sheep, throw a rock, sheep comes back. There's a sheep, throw a rock, comes back. It's just like constantly throwing rocks to get these sheep to kind of go where they want them to go. And, you know, even when they're grazing or if they need them to go somewhere else, okay, shepherd them along, use my hook, but then oh, throw rocks, I can't reach over there. And it's just constantly throwing rocks, throwing rocks, throwing rocks. So then they all get back on the bus, drive some more, um, they stop at another another valley. They get off the bus, and the guide explains, this is the valley of um, Eliah. And this is almost certainly where the battle took place between David and Goliath. Um, and he said, you know, the, the flocks that you saw earlier, that was just a small flock. You know, these, these shepherd girls throwing the rocks. If you have a larger flock, you have to use a sling. Because you, know, you can swing the sling around, and you can throw a rock with precision, much farther. And the precision part comes with just this constant, I mean, you're out there all day shepherding these sheep. They're, they're your sheep. You're caring for them. And you want to keep them, get them where you want them to go. So you're, you're just constantly picking up rocks, throwing them in a the sling, you know. Um, and so the constant stone throwing just provided hours and hours and hours of practice for these shepherds. Um, and that, you know, that was a common job for an a Israeli kid to be doing. It's just shepherding these sheep. Um, and it was not only for controlling the sheep, you know, where they would go in the field, but if there was a predator that would come, you could use the rock to scare the predator away or, or I, I, don't, I don't have any experience throwing rocks, but I imagine, you know, they would use them to control the predators that would come. So I'm going to come back a few verses yet. So, you know, we talked about where David and Goliath were meeting, but 10 verses before that in verses 34 to 37 uh, this is where David is convincing Saul that he should be the one to, to go to Goliath. So he says uh, in verse 34, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal the lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So, you know, not only was David well-practiced in throwing stones, he was pretty comfortable and confident that he could protect his sheep, you know, the, the people of Israel, from these predators. Um, so those are kind of the two, like, that's where, he's, that's where he is going into this battle. Um, and, you know, it's, it's easy to think of this story as a way that God used David, this unlikely child, um, you know, an unlikely victor against this impossibly giant soldier who, like, I mean, the Philistines are like, this is our best guy. <laughs> like, this is, this is going to be so easy. Um, and you'd be right. It's true. David really had no chance against this guy. But David could have not done that on his own. Um, he had the confidence and assurance that God was on his side. You know, God is able to do these things. But God also prepared David in his life just through the day in, day out as a shepherd, throwing the stones, letting him practice throwing stones hundreds of times a day so that when he, um, you know, goes to the giant, it, it's probably just like, oh, I should pick up some stones. Like, I'm just, I, it's just it's second nature to him. Um, 
you know, so, so going back to when he's taunting Goliath uh, in verse 46, you'll notice he doesn't say, I am going to slay you. He says, today the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The Lord rescues his people. He's not going to Goliath to be like, hey, I'm going to take you down with a stone. He's going to him saying, the Lord is going to show you who he is and that he is delivering his people. Um, you know, that, that just... And it, what, what Danny was saying when David's king, like he takes that same understanding of who God is and how powerful he is and how he can prepare you like God is able. He already understood that as a child, as a, a shepherd boy. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's why David is such a central part of, of the Old Testament. And, you know, he's written all these Psalms that we can learn from him. So, you know, I'm sure there were days where David was just bored out of his gourd watching these sheep. You know, ah, throw a rock. Oh, there goes, you know, Sean again. He's always wandering off to the right. Get over, you know, he knows his sheep, right? Oh, there's Edith. She's always eating, eating those thorns. Like, ah, come on, come on. Just like, ah, dumb sheep. Um, and then, you know, we hear about Jesus as the good shepherd, right? Treating us as sheep. Like, sometimes I think he's got to think that same way about us. Like, we keep, we keep going back to this same thing. Um, but... You know, like most training, it takes time and it takes patience. And just the constant throwing of rocks just took time and patience. But it meant that when David was called by God to do this one thing, it it was just like second nature. He just, yeah, I'll pick up these rocks. He he maybe didn't even know that he was going to be swinging rocks. He was just like, oh, I better pick up some rocks because I have my sling. Um, And, you know, one thing... Sometimes God wants us to use us in ways that demonstrate that God is, is the one doing it. You know, you think of like Moses when he's like, hey, I, I can't do this Israelite thing. God's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this for you. Or, you know, Jonah, who's like, no way I'm going to go to Nineveh. And God's like, nope, I am going to show you that I am the one doing this. Or, or Gideon, you know, trying to, to go into the old, um, you know, God just takes these people and says, I'm going to be the one to do it. And sometimes... God just wants us to do the things that he's prepared us to do, um, like throw stones. Um, you know, Carlos says God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. Um, and sometimes that preparation comes before your calling. You know, like in David's case, he was prepared for this moment. Um, God knew that David was going to be doing this, and he had been preparing him. Um, so, you know, one question that I, I come away from this is, like, what am I good at? Like, what, and what are you good at? Like, what is something that you can look at your life and be like, this just seems like, why am I doing this? But maybe there's a reason. You don't know it yet. Or maybe you, you've had an experience like this where, you know, you, you were perfectly prepared for a scenario that you can only explain by, by God's divine appointment that you put, he put you by someone else. And it was like, I have this perfect skill set for this one event and I'm here right now. Like this is, this is exactly perfect. Um, and, and if you haven't had an experience like that, just maybe look for that, you know, look for opportunities where if someone needs help, um, and you're like, Oh, I've actually had this exact experience and I know how to, how to solve this or, Hey, I can do this in my sleep. Just, I, I, I'm going to keep, keep, give you a challenge to just keep an eye out for those experiences because God maybe is preparing you for that and you just got to keep an eye open. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that was my reflection today. Um, 
I'll, I'll pray for us here and invite the band to come up. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for being there, um, reminding us that you are, you are able. You, you prepare us in ways that we could not prepare ourselves. And, um, you know, like, like Al said, it's, it's not what we do, it's what you do for us. Um, we pray that you'll help us remember that. We pray that you'll help us to um, not try to do things ourselves but, and not fight you, but let you do the work that you have planned for us. Amen.